in the Word is our own Matthew Gordon. Matthew and Amy have eight children. Amy is an RN here at the emergency room of our local hospital. And Matt, you're a computer guy? Yeah. Programmer, Systems person? Systems network. And Systems network. Security. You do a lot of work out of your home and on the road. Him and Amy have led a mission trip recently to the Lakota Sioux Territory of North Dakota. They have a heart for God and for people. Uh, Matt serves here in our church in the children's ministry, and he's part of Gin Praise. And so we are thrilled to have Matt bring us the word. Can we pray? And uh, then we'll turn it to Matt. Father, we just thank you so much for our brother. We pray, Lord, you'd use him mightily to minister to us words of life from the book of James. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 This is something that I didn't expect when I, I, Alan and I spoke, and he said, well, why don't you look through the list and see if the Lord's going to put something in your heart. I don't think I'm necessarily the best qualified to speak on wisdom. But almost right away, I was feeling direction with the Holy Spirit and, and revelation um, in his scripture, and I'll do my best to deliver what the Lord was showing to me. And uh, <clears throat> I'm actually concerned about running too long, so uh, uh, so I figured we'd go ahead and run through an itemized list as far as what Pastor James was, James was writing us, and uh, maybe have some time to go ahead and discuss as well. So as far as what I've written here down in our in our uh, in the notes, uh, the Epistle of James, one of the oldest letters in the New Testament, we know that we believe it's actually written by James the older. I'm sorry, James, the uh, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, and senior elder in his time. Um, the first time that, that Pastor James starts writing us, uh, he, it's early in, in, the first, in the first chapter in, in his epistle, and we'll just go ahead and read through that, and then we'll read through the second section in chapter 3, which is exactly what you've <laughs> heard about uh, Tom, right? <laughs> A couple times this week already. Um, so James, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask from God, who gives to all freely and with no reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, being driven by the wind and being tossed. For do not let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-souled man, not dependable in all of his ways. Now the second uh, the second section, going down to chapter 3, verse 13, running through 18, uh, he says, Who is wise and knowing among you? Let him show his works by his good behavior, in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and contention in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is not wisdom coming down from above, but is earthly Beastly and devilish. Now, I've chosen actually to uh, to read from the LITV version of, of the Bible here, and there's a reason for that later on. And these quotes are actually from the LITV. Uh, but we see some interesting parallels from other places in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. We'll get to that here in a little bit. For where jealousy and contention are, there's confusion and every foul deed. But wisdom 
from above is first is firstly truly pure, then peaceable, forbearing, yielding, full of mercy and good fruits, not partial, not pretended. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for the ones making peace. So the first question that that came to my mind here, what two kinds of men is Pastor James contrasting throughout his epistle? What two kinds of men? What I'm seeing is the double-souled man and the uh, and the and the faithful man. He talks about the double-minded man and the faithful man. And his encouragement is to not be double-souled. So, what? Could that possibly mean? And I actually went into Hebrews uh, 4.11. I can just read that real quick here. Which is this this scripture about uh, the word of God being sharper than a two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.11. Therefore, let us exert ourselves to enter into that rest, that not anyone fall on the same example of disobedience. So already, the writer of Hebrews is saying, well, we've got the disobedient man and the obedient man. So we can probably overlay that right on what Pastor James is saying. For the word of God is living and powerfully working, sharper than every two-edged sword, piercing as far as a division, of both soul and spirit, and both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature unrevealed before him, but all things are naked and laid open to his eyes. With whom is our account? And uh, so what, what we're seeing is the word of God being able to come into a person's life and help us uh, determine what is from us and what is not. And we're seeing the, the two-edged sword, the bone, the bone and marrow, the soul, and the spirit. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a couple of authors that that, that uh, describe this pretty well. Uh, that talk about the whole person and the spirit and the soul, and then as a person is walking in sin, maybe even loves the Lord, can't really tell what is they're hearing from the Lord or their own passions that's driving them, or what's the enemy. All these voices in our heads can't really figure out what's going on. But in Scripture, the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and able to separate those things. But as we're saying, is we're not walking in disobedience, right? So I think that is what what Pastor James is trying to say in Chapter 3 already. So what is the word of the Lord that Hebrews is, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about? The writer of Hebrews, yeah, Hebrews 4.11, 4.12. The sword that cuts to the heart of the matter. Yeah. Discerning the thoughts and the intentions, right? Wisdom from above. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. The, the Holy Spirit has inspired the Word, right? 
right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit inspired the word. Earlier on, I wish I could, I wish I had time to look for it. I believe it was earlier in Hebrews where the writer, uh, I don't think it was LITV that, that shown out, it was one of the other versions, uh, translations, but he talks about the quickened word and the written word, and it seems to be a little bit of a contrast with that. The Holy Spirit will lead us in our daily walk and and lead us into specifics in walking with him and what he requires of us. If you pay attention to the Spirit. That's it, man. <laughs> if, if we pay attention. That's exactly but, right. Uh, I mean, it's so easy to snap in bad traffic and you find yourself cursing the guy out using your old language. Yep. You know, I mean, it, it's just, it comes so naturally get angry with someone, to get on edge about something, to complain, to, and all of those are is, is that, that weakness that we show. Yep. Yep. But walking with the Holy Spirit, right? He uses the word to get right to the heart of the matter, right? If we're not walking in disobedience to him, we yield ourselves to him. And I think that there is a state where we can walk in disobedience to the point where, like Pastor Paul wrote, I think, in Ephesians, where it says that our hearts can get seared. But we stay yielding to him and walking with him. And then uh, he brings us through with his, with his grace, totally his grace. But, uh, you still need to have that full awareness of uh, the Spirit, God's presence, like people are always better when they know that they're sitting next to a pastor when they don't know he's a pastor. <laughs> There's a different atmosphere. So, I mean, I think the Lord and the Spirit with you is the same thing. That curbs your anger, curbs the, the, the quickness to fire on someone to, uh, you know, bring out that anger, bring out that you're becoming that double-minded. Keep in the presence of the Spirit. Yeah. Fall away quick, fast. We can. So. And I don't think the Lord expects us to. I mean, I, I don't think it's like, oh no, he fell again. <laughs> you know what? I think he's with his grace. He's very, you know, he's very, very patient and forbearing with us. And uh, um, I think that. Uh, um. We look at the uh, well, some scriptures in the Old Testament where the the Israelites were called back into um, uh, from Babylonian captivity, and they weren't obedient right away. And what that actually did is it delayed the promises from taking place. There seemed a period of delay, and prophets and Nehemiah came to actually pull people together and get that through. And I think that's what what tends to happen with us. But, you know, you mentioned that, well, Wickwire, I was listening to him just a little earlier, and he was talking about Noah. You know, we're not supposed to curse anything. We're supposed to bless everything because nothing belongs to us. It's all God. Uh, you know, it's up to him to curse or get even with somebody. We're not to. We're supposed to show our love. You know, but uh, Noah, after... 120 years of warning people and then the flood and this and that and and afterwards he got drunk 
<laughs> he got drunk. He, he fell from from grace. But when he got up, he he blessed and cursed. So he cursed Ham. He and cursed one of Ham's sons, not Ham, Canaan. Well, the, the his generations, yeah, the Canaanites, Canaanites, right? Ham had four sons, Cushfoot, Phizraim, and Canaan. He cursed Canaan. Okay. So that curse was not fulfilled by slavery. It was fulfilled in the land of Canaan. No. And then that was tied to Babylon and... It was tied to Israel coming in and conquering the land of Canaan. But, you know, it's... You know, here's a good man, pure at heart and everything, and he still stumbles. He gets so drunk, he passes out naked. You know, I mean, yep. uh, yeah, it's a tough walk. It's a tough walk, so, you know. Well, that was not wisdom from above. No. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I think it's that rather double-minded. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it kept coming from that wisdom from above, as we kind of segue to the next section here, and, and it, it, it looks to me that Pastor James has given us contrast, the wisdom from above versus, um, I don't even want to call it wisdom from earth, <laughs> or foolishness of earth, right? The people who think they're wise and are not, because they're not walking with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so one of the first things Pastor James says is the wisdom above is truly pure. And um, Jesus talked about pure um, to mind there was his his uh, talk to the Pharisees about uh, about the leaven the leaven of the Pharisees and how a little bit of leaven changes a whole big lump of dough right um, so my question with that was how can we compare the leaven of the Pharisees to the wisdom of Jesus where they thought they were wise, and that became their own stumbling block and their own leaven inside their own lump. How can we possibly compare that to the wisdom of Jesus? Well, they were blind. They were blinded. And and for us, Paul, Paul prayed, he said that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. We need to walk with our understanding enlightened, and, and we do that when we feed on the Word of God. Of course, mm-hmm. it helps us make us helps to make us wise. And they took they took the Word and they added a whole lot of things with it, a lot of rules, and regulations, stipulations, and policies exactly. and procedures, and things that really missed that God was really saying. Yeah, I think I think that's probably their biggest downfall. We see the same kind of thing with uh, uh, cults today, where they add things on. They think, well, it doesn't really say much about this, so there must be something else, right? Add in their other wisdom, which ends up messing everything up, <laughs> right? Jesus plus anything ruins everything, <laughs> right? So uh, I think we see that there. And when, one of the things I remember doing a study, which was talking about the the origins of the synagogue. And as I understand it, the first synagogue took place in Babylon, during Babylonian captivity, uh, started by by the priests to have a meeting place for the people as as um, 
they couldn't go to the temple. And uh, historically, I, I don't remember what I was reading. It might have been Josephus. But historically, it was... Uh, um, some historians believe that uh, what were then the Pharisees had actually absorbed some of the Luciferian teachings of Babylon. That there was broad, you know, kind of a thing that they could believe, and they actually started absorbing some of the things, and this gets down to some of the Talmud, when they get in there, it's like, what are they saying? It's so far out. But what they ended up absorbing and writing into those other writings ended up being pretty Luciferian. So what Jesus was saying is, no, you're a whitewashed tomb. <laughs> I mean, it, when I read that, after I was reading this, I was like, oh, I see what he's saying now, right? They started absorbing these things. We see the same thing with the cults today. See the same thing? Adding things in, it ends up being something very dark. Unless you get over into the dual-mindedness. Double-mindedness, yeah. yeah. Adding stuff in. This is so interesting. I love talking about it because then more just like unfolds even as we're going. This is awesome. Those who bear wisdom from above are meek, is the next thing that uh, Pastor James writes. Jesus used the term meek as well to describe the humble, more specifically those, once again, who yield to the Holy Spirit. Yielding to the Holy Spirit sometimes mean, means doing things that might be considered rude or out of place in the societies where Christians live and work. I know I've been put on the spot by the Holy Spirit to do something that probably, you know, wouldn't be considered normal, right, in the workplace. And, and uh, But it's one of those things being led by the Lord. So the question is, it came to mind, was Jesus meek when he told the Pharisees that they were whitewashed tombs? Was Jesus being meek when he told Pharisees they were whitewashed tombs? What do you mean by whitewashed tombs? Well, it's one of the descriptions that he said to, uh, to, to the Pharisees to say, no, you're all pretty on the outside. By the inside, you're all a bunch of piles of dead bones. I wonder what you were... Yeah, and that's actually what he said. You know, That's the okay. full sentence of everything he was saying. I'll just take one phrase of that. And he was, and I, I tell you, with you know, in those days they didn't have microphones and all that stuff. Je Jesus was a preacher. <laughs> he would have been yelling over the tops of hundreds of people most of the time. And uh, my my position is, is this: meekness and humility is not being cowering from the world. Oh, they're going to hate me, but it's being humble before the Lord, right? That is, the Holy Spirit has us do things, and some of that means being vocal about something when nobody else will. It does not mean weak or timid. No. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think it is. That. No, definitely not. The Lord has called me to do some things like, oh, Lord, I don't want to say that. Come on. Right? So the meekness and the humility is that before the Lord. Meekness is not weakness. Mm -mm. Meekness. Sometimes make it, and I think that's the common conception. It's not that. I don't think I take it as rude. I'd switch 
Well, yeah, and we, and we can do that, thought he was rude. Yeah, I mean, Jesus was, I mean, you know, I mean, he spat in the guy's eyes. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, you know, even in those days, even in those days to say, hey, you want to see? <laughs> That's one thing. I'm glad, I'm glad that, I'm glad Holy Spirit hasn't asked me to do that. I'll say that much, man. But, uh. But uh, but yeah, I could see you know I could see or or even even as gosh uh, going into the house did he do that in the Pharisees? I think they did. I think it was when Jesus and his disciples were invited into the house to eat and they didn't ceremonially wash their hands on purpose <laughs> on purpose because yeah. remember he's trying to make a point. They get down there and they're all grubby and dirty and they you know got I mean everyone back knows it. I don't know if you guys eat in Middle Eastern restaurants. Fascinating. You all eat out of the same bowl. And uh, get in there and all dirty and just. I just received a request from our listeners that we all speak louder. So let's pretend okay. we're 80 years old and we're getting our point across, okay? <laughs> they're trying to hear. So peaceable. Jesus taught, Jesus brought reconciliation between mankind and God. We know this is the peace that Jesus brought, right? How was Jesus peaceable when he drove the money changers out of the temple? Twice he did this. How was that peaceable? So there, there's, there's a thing. There's a thing in engineering, guys, that I look at is that I tend to tell myself is that when there seems to be a paradox or something doesn't make sense, that when I investigate that thing, I'm going to have a great understanding of everything. Right? So I see that kind of thing in engineering. I'm like, okay, that looks like a paradox. Let's figure that out, and that's where my problem is going to be. All right? So, and that's how I approach this. So like, okay, obviously, the whys are peaceable. So is Jesus being peaceable when he drove them out? Well, it yielded. So what does it take to yield that? It might mean he has to take care of business. And like our children, if we discipline our children, it's going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't seem like it when you're whipping them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you're farming, you got to tear up some stuff first. Here, yeah. man. Yeah. If you want to harvest. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like the reverse. My goodness, you turn the ground up. You're getting ready for the seed. Yep. And I think right there we have it, right? Jesus was bringing peace between mankind and God. Something like that where the temple, and this was before the, the crucifixion and resurrection, the temple was the place, the meeting place, still between mankind and God. And there's this terrible leaven that's sitting right there. And I think it's perfectly peaceable right. between for bringing peace between mankind and God for him to get them out of there. It's a long-term game plan. Right. Exactly. Right? But once again, this gets down to those things with you know, being led by the Spirit. But being led by the Spirit, we're able to uh, um, see what God wants for time. Well, let's let's look at uh, Ecclesiastes, for example. Here's Here's maybe a two or three sentence synopsis, right? Where he says, you know, gosh, I know, Solomon writes, and he says, I know that this is a great burden I have on myself that God has given to me to investigate the matter, in so many words, he says, what is the meaning of life?
is what, what he says. And eventually he says, you know, so I tried partying, totally meaningless. I tried working really, really hard, totally meaningless. Farming and had all these farms and these stables, totally meaningless. Everything's meaningless. He said, but what I found is there's a time for every purpose under heaven, right? And it goes on the same, the famous lines that the Beatles made even more famous, possibly. <laughs> and uh, with that, he's saying there's a time for everything. There's a time to tear down. There's a time to build up. There's a time to kill, time to destroy, time to bring life. And this goes on and on. He said, the idea is, in the long run, this is a very quick synopsis. You guys can study it and all that. And if I'm wrong, you can take me out back and stone me. But uh, in the very long time, he says, okay, uh, the meaning is this. Get a relationship with the Creator. Figure out what He has to do for your life and do it. <laughs> that's the meaning of life. That's, that's the whole thing. That's everything that Solomon's saying, right? So there's a time for every purpose, being led by the Spirit in that relationship, and the Lord just makes the way. And He'll say, okay, you've got to go tear something down now. <laughs> right? But for us, for me and my purpose, it's like, okay, I know what God has for my purpose, and that might be rude, <laughs> right? It might be out of place, but I'm going to go do it. Amen? All right, everybody, okay. <laughs> we'll see if we can, I know, I didn't write any of that down, so. But, hey, I left big so margin, so if you guys want to. And hit a few bars afterwards, you know, go in and. <laughs> Be rude and peaceable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I had a really good friend uh, for years. His, uh, his name was Jim. He's pastor of a church out in Farmer's Branch. And Jim used to be a, a Satanist. And uh, he got born again. He was about 28 years old. And uh, when he got saved, he was all out saved. And three years later, he was pastoring a church. And uh, for a couple of years, he never wanted to go back but he was a musician. He and I did some. We did some prison ministry and stuff like that. And uh, and then one time I was talking with him in in a studio. He had a studio to help make money and support the church and stuff. And he had started uh, going back into bars as a music judge and a pastor. And he would judge like karaoke. It's like you know what? This time I know the Lord's in it, and it's all different now. And I'm not tempted at all by it at all anymore. And they know I'm a pastor. I get I get. You know, they say, hey, here's Pastor Jim, and he's going to help, uh, you know, judge the, the karaoke. And he, afterwards, he could pray with people and say, hey, I want to ask you about this. And he would pray with people and spend time with people. But the Lord was actually in it. So we see those kinds of things. We don't say, well, well, that's just impossible. It's like, man, you know, he was able to touch a lot of people. Uh, the wise, oh, let me see. Am I there? Let me see where I'm at. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, the wise are forbearing. The wise help bear the load of other people. And we're just going right through right through the passage in chapter 3 here. <clears throat> so my question was, the good Samaritan, how did the good Samaritan bear the load of the fallen man that wasn't his to bear, and actually the man himself, and how does Jesus bear you? How does Jesus bear us? Well, he picks us up every time we fall, if we let him. 
about the story of the Good Samaritan that always sticks out to me was not only did he pick him up, carry him to the innkeeper, drop him off, which I think a lot of people might do just out of guilt, but then he, like, paid the innkeeper to take care of him for, like, the next week. And I think that's where a lot of people where we would draw the line. It's like, okay, he's out of the road, out of sight, out of mind. I don't need to worry about not my problem anymore. But he made sure that the guy was taken care of for, like, the full recovery. And I think that's kind of like what Jesus does with us. It's not just pull us out of the mess that we're in in that moment, but he wants to be with us there for our full recovery, you know, for the rest of our life, help carrying the load. And he also puts people in our lives to help bear that load as well. <clears throat> uh, yep, and I think, I think it's part of the point here, too, is that we bear each other's load, right? We're forbearing as we're wise. God will call us to do things and bear other people's load when it's not even necessarily our responsibility as far as the world is concerned. Did that? You got it, man. I think that's what a lot of this gets down to, right? Is that uh, Jesus wants to be in, us to be in the world, but not of the world. And uh, uh, but we can somehow be different, somehow reflect Him as worshippers of Him, right? Being ref- being beacons of light and reflecting what He has to give, that attracts people to us and eventually to Him. <laughs> Amen. But that only happens when we're not of the world, but we're of the Holy Spirit. And yielding, one of the next points here Pastor James has, yielding, I think, does actually go hand in hand with meekness. Uh, When does yielding to the Holy Spirit mean not yielding to man? Was Jesus yielding to man or yielding to the Holy Spirit when he was led to the cross? And a couple of years prior to that, when the Pharisees surrounded him and tried to arrest him at the steps of the temple, Jesus, quote-unquote, eluded their grasp, even though he was surrounded. Was Jesus' eluding, was that yielding to the Holy Spirit, or was that to a desire of self-preservation? I don't think he was concerned about self-preservation at all. Exactly. I think his ministry just wasn't done, right? My time has not come. It's not it coming. not my hour. You got it. That's what I think, too. Until it is my hour, they can't do anything. Yep. I think this is miraculous, too, by the way. If you, when I read that, that passage of him being surrounded, he was teaching, and they literally surrounded him. And it's literally like, okay, I'm going to get you, and then, whoa, where'd he go? <laughs> I, I think this is one of those things. Uh, I remember, um, uh, what's his name, Tom, Tom Stammen, who came by. He talked about that, where he was being chased down a street, and he was like, oh, Jesus, they're chasing me. And before he knew it, boom. He was on the other side of the street, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> you know, this, this, uh, him eluding their grasp is, is, to me, is not any different than when he sent the disciples across the lake and he went up to the mountain to pray. And then when the storm came in the middle of the night and he came walking when they cried for help and they thought he was a spirit. And how did he get from the top of the mountain to the two, three miles into the middle of the lake walking on the water? in an instant. 
Well, even uh, I, I believe it was Philip. The same as eluding your grasp. Uh, I think it's Zinga, I think. Or Philip got transferred as, as uh, to the roadside as the Ethiopian guy was tr going by and reading Isaiah. And all of a sudden, I mean, the, the scripture, as it says that, it's like, wait a minute, what just happened there? It really does look like Philip just like, whoa, how did I get here? And he hears this guy in the cart reading Isaiah. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, that's about Jesus. You want to come down here and get baptized? <laughs> got water, <laughs> right? So... Um, I think, I, and, and the Lord still does this. I, I was reading, a, I read a book, uh, it was probably 10, 11 years ago, it was called uh, Mega Shift. It's by Jim Rance, Rance I think, um, uh, who has uh, been an author and connected to a lot of missionaries in the field and collected some of the things and some of the things the Lord's doing in mission fields right now. And uh, one of his stories was as a missionary, somewhere in the Middle East, I don't remember anymore, but it, he was sick and in the hospital, and praying, oh, Lord, and just going on for days, high fever going on and off in a third-world hospital. And out of the blue, this little Mexican man walks in the room, prays for him in Spanish, <laughs> and walks out. I'm like, and then he's healed. I'm like, God, what just happened? It's like, oh, he's one of my prayer warriors out in Mexico. I brought him out here just like that so he can pray for you. <laughs> You need so, hey, let's, you know, God's God, right? So, <laughs> um, in, in answer to, was he yielding yeah. to the Holy Spirit when he was led to the cross, or was he yielding to man? The answer is yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, when when he said I am, and they and the soldiers fell down, and he wanted to cut off, kill the guy, he could have laughed. He could, I mean, he easily could have escaped when it was his hour to go to the cross. Because he had escaped many times before. Mm -hmm. From the cliff, from the, 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 the temple. It was not beyond his capability. Yep. And he demonstrated that. Yeah, I've got to but tell myself to watch the clock here. The time's going to get away. Okay, we're all right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And I think that at that point in time, it was part of the Lord, the Lord Holy Spirit's plan for those to carry out for that to carry out. The time, the ministry time was over. Everything had come to, you know, ahead. He had a, a, a year, first year of ministry of relative obscurity, second year of popularity, and the third year, <laughs> the powers that be just wanted to kill him, <laughs> right? And uh, and it was time. So I think the point is yielding to the Holy Spirit, right, and what the Holy Spirit has for us. You know, and your forbearing and yielding of that is very much of the parable of the good shepherd leaving the 99 sheep and going and finding the one. And when he finds it, he picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and brings it back, and celebrates. The, question, the couple of questions that come out is, you know, how would other men have done that? You know, would they have picked it up and carried the sheep back, or would they have just tried to lead it back? You know? And um, yeah, and then when he got back, he wasn't worried. He, he wanted to celebrate with his friends, Good Shepherd, because all of them were there. So the forbearing and the yielding, the sheep yielded. And we're the sheep. Will we yield? Or do we struggle? Yep. Are we goats? Yep. <clears throat> so wisdom from above is full of mercy. 
And uh, what came to mind here is, I believe it's in Matthew. I, I wrote that down, so I think I actually checked on that. Matthew wrote that Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, quote-unquote, was a righteous man for wanting to quietly divorce Mary right, and avoid her execution. That's, some, that's something that kind of struck out for me, because they had every legal right to actually uh, submit her and have her stoned and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what he did. But in that act, the Bible actually says that he was a righteous man for doing that. So the simple act of mercy that shows the character of Jesus and possibly one of the reasons why the father chose Joseph for the job of the adoptive father of Jesus. So was Jesus being merciful when he said that it is nearly impossible for a rich man to enter heaven? That might be a tough one here. He is being merciful if it's true. Not merciful to not tell someone the truth. Exactly, right? He's saying, watch out. If you have a money, if you have a lot of means, watch out. I think that's exactly what he's saying. Because you can buy almost anything you want, millions, billions of dollars. It's more of a statement of truth than saying you rich people can't come to heaven. It was more like, this is the way it is. Watch out. You know, it's like telling someone, don't go jump off a cliff and you'll die. That's not you pronouncing judgment on them. You're telling them, stay away from the cliff. Right? I think that... Uh, it, comes back to what is, it comes back to what are they worshipping. Yep. God or the money or their, their idol that is in place of God. Yep. Focusing on the riches of your character. What's your What's your character? That's right. Are you righteous and rich? Can't, can't be. Are you are you are you using money yeah. to love people or loving money and using people? Mm-hmm. Right? The wisdom from above is full of good fruits. This one kind of diving into it took me to a place I really didn't expect. When this fruit, you know, the good fruits, when this proverbial fruit is harvested, it could be used to plant more crop. It's one of the things. I don't know if you guys do gardens. I love doing We love doing gardens and having chickens and all that kind of stuff. And out of our garden, we get heirloom seeds, and we actually look for the best seeds out of whatever we pick to harvest and plant again. So we're constantly picking out the seeds that are the best to replant the next season. Okay? So... Uh, uh, the wise who are wise with godly wisdom produce good fruit. So as opposed to discolored or deformed, right? it's good fruit. Every, one, every piece of fruit is good, and it's proverbial fruit. Comparing that with Jesus' parable of the sower, the question is, is the wise man in this passage written by James, is that wise man the sower or the fruit-bearing tree? Say the fruit bearing tree, are you talking about the bears fruit and then it gets pruned so it produces more fruit and then it gets pruned even more? So exactly. Yeah, the wise man sower talks about the sower and he throws some seed down on the rocky ground, and but it doesn't take root. It gets trampled underfoot when it's on the path. Up on the thorns, it gets choked out by the cares of the world. Right? But falls on good soil and produce, produces good fruit. 
soil. The soil. Soil, the condition of our hearts, right? And the condition of our hearts and what the Holy Spirit brings to us as he waters it with the blood of Jesus and feeds it and brings it sunshine as we worship the Lord, brings good fruit. Amen. I actually looked at that so many times as well. You know, that means we all need to be sowers. And well, But I don't think that's what Jesus and his younger half-brother, Pastor James, are really saying. The wisdom from above is not partial. What Pastor James is very vocal about this in his epistle is his opposition to being partial to the rich who come into the church. And at this point in time, it was it was an issue. Somebody come in with a lot of, oh, take the best seat, sit over here, you know. It's most comfortable, it's cooler on this side of the building, whatever. <laughs> and that was an issue there. I think sometimes this can go backwards, too, where you've got uh, some fellowships that don't have a lot of means, and they can actually look down on people who are rich. I think it can go backwards. And uh, you know, I, I remember I remember reading something. I think it was uh, it was a book I read. I believe it was called uh, the e- the Evangelical History of America. I think it was called. And uh, I could be wrong, but I believe it was uh, Wesley who started off the what we now know the as the uh, the Methodist Church. That was a great revival throughout the, the countryside. He was actually funded by a wealthy publisher out of New York City. That that publisher gave. Huge, I mean, 80% of his income to fund Wesley. See, and God used the righteous rich and the righteous poor. He gave vision to the righteous poor, <laughs> means to the righteous rich, to pull things together to actually forward his own gospel and his own movement. What was the name of that man? I don't remember. I believe I read it in, the. I think the book was called The Evangelical History of America. And it was a wealthy publisher. It was one of the Great Awakenings. I'm fairly certain. I mean, this is off the top of my head here. I'm fairly certain that he funded Wesley. And I know that we had other ones, you know, the other Great Awakenings as well. But I believe that it was Wesley. And I I, I made myself memorize it when I read it. Now I don't remember it. (laughs) Uh, So partiality is going both ways. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and here's, here's something I was doing some research, I was praying for the Lord about this. Uh, chapter 11, a quick, I mean, you guys can read through that, but a quick summary is the writer saying, look, some of us, we're led to the Colosseums, and we put on lambskins, and they throw us before the lions, and we do so by faith. Some of us, as we're getting led, God just miraculously delivers us. And we do so by faith. That whatever we do, we do it by faith. That's the whole point. Right? So the idea is, if God blesses someone who is wealthy, then they do it by faith. <laughs> then they are brought there by faith. And for those of us who are not, I mean, I, I remember being <laughs> in my early 20s and having lots of dreams. I'm like, God, I've got no resources. <laughs> right? But we do so by faith. And the Lord leads us all by faith. And that could actually lead into, a, who knows, if you know persecution ever comes back to our country or not. <clears throat> Whether it's 
comes back to our country. You said it. Yep. Well, uh, I know. It's I see. The athletic conversations are so interesting because we can go on and or, or how some of the churches now are actually getting pursued by IRS to do taxes. And uh, um, I was one of my friends, a pastor out in California. They were trying to build a new church, and they said, "Okay, I got the land. I got this stuff." and they could not get things approved. Why? Because a church being nonprofit, they wouldn't pay the taxes out there that everybody else would. And they were getting walled time and time again, and they had to pray things through. It's like, and I remember having a cup of coffee with him, and he was like, man, finally we got that through, just praying through, we ended up finding a good lawyer and pushing that through. But, oh yeah, it's, there, there, there is persecution. I mean, we could, who knows if we're going to get to the point of, you know, where the, a lot of the or the the wall uh, what was it called the Waldensians one of the first mass killings in persecution in, in uh, Christian history I believe it was probably around eighty one one thousand or so you familiar that they were a community they got in awake and they became a Bible based community not very far from at the time was a Roman Catholic realm and rule in Europe and the Roman the the, uh, the Pope said well let's see if we can get these guys ran up together and kill them. And they said, okay, um, go out to the countryside, told the, you know, his knights and all those guys, uh, go tell them that uh, if they don't come to our meeting over at this building, that uh, this is, you know, probably there's hundreds of people that weren't all together yet, could have been a few hundred, 600 people. So come to this building or uh, we're going to confiscate all their land. And they, they knew, it's like, well, if I do that, uh, they're probably just going to kill us. <laughs> So they just walked away from the land. They said, we got more of this up in the mountains. Let's go up in the mountains. Went up to the mountains. And uh, um, so then, you know, the folks like, well, gosh, they just gave us all their land, and we didn't shut them up. <laughs> so they got all the knights. They said, uh, well, have all the knights go through there. And this is back when the laws had to say, well, you had to let these guys sleep in your own home. And, uh, and they're like, well, they prayed about it. It's like, well, what are we going to do? We're nonviolent. In the middle of the night, the knights had to, they woke up and they just slaughtered everybody. Over a thousand people. It was one of the first things that awoke. And then later on, going through the other awakenings that took place, they're like, well, what happened to them? Ain't going to happen to us. <laughs> right? But these things, all throughout history. All throughout history. So that was the Waldensians. One of the next ones was with John Huff. Um, wisdom from above. Uh, not pretended. And here it says, faith consists of, of both belief and action. Pretended faith, good example right from the Bible, right? I believe that we should be using the Bible to interpret the Bible. The seven sons of Sceva in Acts 19 did not operate in faith when trying to exercise a man who then left them beaten and naked. Uh, there are pretenders in the church. We... Those who do not actually know Jesus simply cannot make sense of steps of faith that the Lord Holy Spirit calls us to. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> let's see, faith, maybe faith a little bit more. Um, I read something which I think was probably the cleanest example of faith since we're on the subject. I wanna, oh gosh, I better watch my time. <clears throat> Okay, I'm all right. I can do it. Um, they talked about how Jesus said, I am the, uh, 
uh, uh, so I want to say the way, the truth, and life. But he said, uh, I, I'm the, the, the narrow gate and the narrow path, right, that leads to life. And the wide way leads to destruction. And I think the picture is kind of like, okay, you know, but before we're walking with the Lord, we got these huge carts and wheelbarrows, massive, with a whole bunch of junk from our lives. And the things that have been done to us, the things we did to people, all piled up. And we're pushing that along the way. And actually, we kind of do that. But sometimes people steal from us. And we steal from other people and all that kind of stuff. And then we see a very narrow gate. Obviously, our big cart's not going to get through there. Right? It's very narrow. We're going to have to leave stuff behind. But Jesus says, come to me. Right? I'll lead you to life, but you've got to leave it behind. And believing Jesus and going through there, it might only be wide enough to only for our own bodies... We just got to leave it behind. But believing that and taking that action to follow him, and he is the gate, right? It's like we're going right through the cross. And that, I think, is a perfect picture of faith, that God calls us to take action on something that may not even make sense, according to the wisdom of the world. <laughs> Amen? Uh, seven sons of Sceva. Let's see. <clears throat> What trials has James written about that could be ordained by God to separate the pretenders from the church? What trials has James written about that could be ordained by God to separate pretenders from the church? Does history have evidence that those trials ever actually stopped for Christians around the world? What if those trials escalate in our country? Are you, are we prepared to walk through it by faith? I'll tell you, what, one of the things that bothers me about um, some people talk about a pre-tribulation rapture is they're just talking about like an easy escape. <laughs> and uh, the last I heard, I think, I think the last I heard, I, let me see, I believe 100,000 Christians were martyred around the world on a yearly basis right now. I just read something on that maybe three or four months ago. Yeah, quite a few. Well, I think I'm getting close to running out of time. Someone's trying to push on here. Uh, now, unholy wisdom. In contrast, uh, Pastor James writes about unholy wisdom. Those who bear unholy wisdom are jealous contentious, and liars. And the first thing that popped into my mind was, are these not the, the traits of the Pharisees? Jealous of Jesus, cooking up lies, contentious, they couldn't control them, so they had to try to kill them. <laughs> right? They tried to control <clears throat> and uh And I got thinking, well... What are some of the biggest lies and stuff that can deceive even Christians here today? And uh, actually, with a lot of the people I get to rub shoulders with, I try to keep up on uh, uh, discussion of sciences and uh, what they say is scientific truth. And uh, a lot of this stuff, well, par particularly in the, um, in the whole arena of, of evolution, <laughs> These guys are so at each other's throats from different, you know, all these, it's like the Piltown man. They push that whole thing out there, 
And it's possibly one of the biggest lies ever told, and it's still in every textbook today. It, it's it's mind-boggling. You know, proven that it was a complete fraud. Complete fraud. And man-made. And the pictures and the references are still in high school textbooks today. It's I, I I think that there is plenty of evidence to show that you know Jesus did actually create the earth six thousand years ago. <laughs> plenty. And all these things about the carbon dating, <laughs> complete ridiculous. They they talk about about uh, having to to calibrate their instruments to whatever year because they can pull up a seal out of the ocean and carbon dates to twelve hundred years old. <laughs> so it's like, okay, how do you calibrate that? It's like, well, we know it's not twelve hundred years old, so we just change everything to show that. That's all it gets down to. This whole thing is a complete lie, and they're at each other's throats constantly. I just read an article here, uh, actually I think five days ago, where a professor in quantum physics did some math, and he said, okay, I'm uh, going public, I'm going to make this big announcement. He basically said with quantum physics, he's proven by math that the universe was created by life, and the universe didn't create life, and after life there's going to be life. And it's like, <laughs> you know, so these guys sometimes are coming around. It's like, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> but uh, I think that we see this kind of thing when you look at history of all these guys. They're at each other's throats constantly. They go and pushing things out there because it's going to bring them the best uh, glory and fame and all that kind of stuff. You know, we have a lot of that though, right? Is right in the church members. There's a favorite, favorite show <clears throat> probably 20 years ago that I watched. You know, it came on at midnight, and it was a, a Jewish rabbi and a Catholic priest, and they would have this Lutheran on as a guest, but they they talked theology, and to listen to them, they each had such a convincing argument on the topic that they were talking about. You go. Well, yeah, that really sounds logical, and then you would hear that man. Well, that sounds really logical. I mean, there's confusion right here amongst us to pull people one direction or the other. And, you know, I, I know one, she's in my mind right now, that I've been talking with, and that has driven her away. So it's like no church, you know. I believe this, but I never read this. <laughs> right. So I've got my own conclusions about this, yep. which are why we talk. <laughs> so that would fall into the category of unholy wisdom. Unholy wisdom. Yeah. yeah. So the, the this one, this study right here, the Lord opened my eyes so much about this, I was just amazed. Unholy wisdom is earthly, beastly, and devilish. Once again, this is coming from the LITV because when I got into reading about wisdom in there, <clears throat> I found that the LITV version, um, it can be blunt with some things, but not gloss, not make things too glossy and, and uh, uh, pretty when it shouldn't be. And, uh, but what I saw here is, I compared this, and I knew that I had read it before, and it had been Pastor Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, when he wrote about the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I thought, wait, you know, that's exactly what Pastor Paul said, right? The world, earthly, the flesh, wow. beastly, the devil, devilish. Uh, yeah. So, oh, interesting. 
So, um, but Pastor Paul goes into it in more depth. So I'm going to go ahead and read that uh, quickly if I can. What did I say? Two, one, two, 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 one through three. Okay. <clears throat> I want to try to get over to <clears throat> to the Old Testament for passage. Really fascinating there. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 3. And you, or me, right, or us, being dead in deviations and sins, in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the air, right, devilish. And the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all conducted ourselves in times past in the lusts of our flesh. Right? It's exactly what Pastor James was talking about. But Pastor Paul, he loves to just dig right in and pull everything apart. Um, <clears throat> acting out the things, the wills of the flesh and of the understandings, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest. So Pastor Paul got into it a little bit further. My next question was, well, we have this interesting three things. I wonder if something, anything, could be overlaid with these and the temptations of Jesus. Can I say that one more time? Yeah. The, the temptations of, of Jesus out in the desert. Can we see the world, the flesh, and the devil in those temptations as well? The flesh, temptation to turn stones into bread. The world. Uh, I'll give you the world if you worship me. Worship, worship, worship me, me, the devil. Right? I think it's very much right there. Exactly what the the enemy tried to do. It, it's, it's the same mechanism. See, he doesn't change. And this is what is really fascinating to me. Uh, but before we get into that, the source of ungodly wisdom. Next session. Oh, man, I think I'm running late, am I? Go for it. <laughs> okay. Take this home. All right. I'll leave this home. Okay. <laughs> the source of godly wisdom? Uh, so, oh, yes, the source of godly wisdom. Oh, yeah, that's where we are. The source of godly wisdom. James clearly states that we need to ask of God, but be sure to remove worldliness from our lives before doing so, or we won't get heavenly wisdom. James's big half-brother, Jesus, said to, quote-unquote, ask, seek, and knock, if the father who is good knows how to give good gifts to the children, to his children, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, in cross-referencing this, Apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians, I believe it was the first letter, I didn't have time to look up that reference there, uh, that the spiritual man, quote-unquote, understands all things. What Pastor Paul wrote, the spiritual man understands all things. So, uh, would, would, it, would it be reasonable to state that wisdom is a predominant trait of the Lord Holy Spirit? You think we're there yet? No? <laughs> not, not there yet. <laughs> Always in the prayer, you know, I figured if it was good for Solomon, it'd be good for me to ask for the same thing. 
Well, we're going to get there too. Now, if wisdom is a predominant trait of Holy Spirit, then what can we learn from his character from Proverbs 8 and 9? So, I'm going to go ahead and read this real quick, and I think that will probably, I believe that's our last set of scriptures there. I got thinking, you know, I think the Holy Spirit, that he, he kind of hides himself. He's always pointing to Jesus, just like Jesus always pointed to the Father, right? But he's here, right? Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended up into heaven. And then he said, okay, stay there until the helper comes. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit is here with us. And I think the idea is, is that as we use the word to get closer to the Lord, and as he pulls things out of our life that he doesn't want in our life anymore, that we begin to have a more pure walk with the Lord. Just, I mean, God... What was Jesus doing with Adam? Just walking in the cool of the day, right? Walking in the cool of the day. So one day Adam didn't show up. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about what what Solomon wrote about wisdom, and I hope that nobody kind of freaks out about his poetic language using the feminine. I mean, after all, Jesus didn't compare us to uh, five maidens, right? <laughs> But I think this is something where we're going to see the Holy Spirit stand out to us. Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call, does not understanding speak. She stands on the high top, on top of high places by the wayside and the hills and the paths, beside the gates at the mouth of the city. At the doors she cries, I call to you, O men, and my voice is to the sons of men. Understand wisdom, simple ones, and, and fools be of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things. And from the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak of truth, and wickedness is hateful to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. Nothing crooked and perverse is in them. They are all plain to the understanding one and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and the delights cannot be compared to it. I, wisdom, I dwell with sense, and I find knowledge of discretions. The fear of Jehovah is to hate evil. I hate pride and loftiness, and the evil way and the perverse mouth. Counsel and sound wisdom are mine. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and leaders decree in righteousness. Rulers and nobles rule by me and all the judges righteously by the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me early find me. Riches and honor are with me. Endurance and wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, even fine gold. And my increase is better than the best silver. I walk in the path of righteousness in the midst of the path of justice to cause those who love me to inherit wealth. And I'll fill up in their treasuries. Let's talk about wealth and wisdom and treasuries of wisdom, right? Uh, Fill up in their treasuries. Jehovah possessed me in the beginning of his way. From then before his works, I was set up from everlasting from that which was before the earth. 
When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs heavy with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth and laid earth and the fields or the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a circle at the face of the deep, when he formed the clouds above, when he made strong the foundations of the deep, and when he gave the sea its limit, and the waters should not pass beyond his command, when he decreed the foundations of the earth. And I was at his side like a master workman. I was his delight day by day rejoicing before him at every time. Rejoicing in the world is earth, and my delight was with the sons of men. And now listen to me, O sons, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do, do not refuse it. Blessed is the man listening to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the, at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and shall not Obtain, and shall obtain favor from Jehovah. But he who sins against me does violence to his own soul. All who hate me love death. I'm going to go right into the next one here. Wisdom has built her house, and she's carved out her seven pillars. Does that sound like it could be prophetic, guys? I think so. Holy Spirit, our helper, pillars of church. How about this? She slaughtered her slaughter, mixed her wine. Maybe a little prophetic here. Holy Spirit leads Jesus to the cross, fills his blood. Next part. She set her table. Table of communion. You know what's a really interesting study sometimes is, is studying how covenants go hand in hand with meals in the Bible. You can trace it all the way back. <laughs> she set her table. She sent out her maidens. Immediately I read this and I thought, oh, that's, that's the five wise maidens who proclaiming the, the master coming and wedding feast is going to start. Oil in their lamps. Now listen to this, where Holy Spirit says, she cries to the highest places of the city. Actually, I read this and I thought, hey, you know, Generations Church kind of looks over the city. <laughs> Saying the simple one, turn in here and the one lacking, she says to him, come and eat my bread. Once again, we have a table set. We're talking about communion here. I think this is totally prophetic. I never, ever saw that before. Just slap me in the face. <laughs> Come and eat my bread. Drink the wine that I mixed. Forsake the foolish and live. Go into the way of understanding. Verse 7. He, he reproves a scorner gets shame for himself, and he rebukes the wicked man gets his own blot. Do not reprove a scorner that he may not hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. Give to a wise man and he'll become more wise. Teach a just one, and he'll increase in learning. 
The fear of Jehovah is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I'll tell you, this is something that's kind of gotten under my skin, too. You hear people saying, well, fear just means respect. No, if you actually look at the word fear, they use in the Bible, it means terrified. <laughs> totally terrified. I'll tell you what, no, I, listen, I, I talked to Pastor about this. I had a dream about three weeks ago, where in my dream I was leading praise and worship like this. And in my dream, I was like, you know, we're at house. Yeah, I, we worship the Lord, and by grace we go before the throne. And in my dream, my spirit shot out of my body. I'm not kidding. And it felt like I was traveling twice the speed of light. And I'm seeing stars go by for like two seconds, and I stop. Bang. And in my dream, I was standing in the back of this massive auditorium. Two million people there. And at the other end is the Father sitting on his throne. And I was afraid out of my head. <laughs> and, that was, and I knew I was dreaming. I was like, wow, I'm dreaming. And I said something stupid. I said, oh, my God, it's the Father. <laughs> I was like, what did I say? And I was, like, I, I was scared. If you don't have any idea about the majesty and the glory and the awesomeness, everything that the Father is, and it was, it, I only saw it for two seconds, of course, and I freaked out so much I woke up. But I, I had this sense of, wow, he is all power. You just feel this, this massive, and have the sense of, you know what? He's only sitting down. <laughs> it's like, what's going to happen to the universe if he stands up? It, it, the, it seems like that there's a reference to fear with the angels about Mary. The, oh, man, everybody. Yeah, it's like, dude, no, I was, I was afraid. I yelled out. And I rolled over and I looked at my wife to see if I had woken her up. I was like, oh, oh. Oh, and I, I felt like I was I really traveled like the speed of light. It was just it was a wild dream. I was like, okay, I think the Lord gave me that. <laughs> and I don't know why he gave it to me and not somebody else. But just the overall sense, like, man, there is nothing that can compare to his awesomeness, to his power, anything. And if that doesn't scare you to sit down and think about that, I mean, I felt like I happened to be standing on a mountain above the universe. <laughs> where the universe was literally canopy, and I was like, what just happened? All right. Terrified is actually what this word means. Yeah. I, I agree, Matt. I think that's a good, a good segue, a note to end on. Um, I think we water down the gospel and the truth by trying to tame God to make him palatable. Like we got to help him out for people to accept him when in the scriptures everybody that actually had a close encounter with him fell on their face. Yep. Adam and Eve after this sin ran and hid. Yep. <laughs> he is awesome. He is awesome. He is awesome. Yep. Man. Uh, does anybody else have any comments on this subject? Except we walk out of here with the fear of God in our hearts. So. That's the beginning of wisdom, see? That's the source. That's where it all begins. You, you, you took us to the source. Amen. Let's check our listeners. Hey, brothers, you guys have anything to add or questions to ask? Hello? Oh, I can, I'm good. I can, I can just say it was really good. I mean, it was animated. It was fast-paced. It was informative. So it... It kept me paying attention, which is really good. Good. Yep. Thank you, Matt. Thank, Thank you. you, guys.
Thank you so much. Yeah.